0: From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs.
1: If you're following Derek's series on trials, today we're going to continue that series with closing arguments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Gwinnett Chamber Small Business Awards today. We have another remote location, and we are getting ready to head into a luncheon. Hello, Derek. How hey, are you? good morning. Welcome it's amazing. We've got show. people
0: walking on around dressed in business attire and. Uh, all kind of vendors set up here in the lobby. It's it's
1: happening right now. This is different. It's a great location. We've never had this many people no. kind of <laughs> moving around as we've taped one of our shows. It
0: truly is a live studio audience today.
1: All right. Before we begin, this show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For over 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Leeta Brooks. And I've already introduced Derek. Here he is. Welcome to the show. Before we begin, a quick note about our sponsors. Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-hurt. All right. We're in a series. you've been taking us through each step of a trial well give us a recap where did we start
0: sure i decided to do a whole series about trial simply because far too often these cases wind up in litigation and then eventually a trial itself and so i have lots of questions from clients frequently about what to expect if we do go to trial Uh, so for the purpose of uh, answering those questions up front giving people an opportunity to understand a little bit more about the process i decided to do an entire series so we started initially with voir dire. That is the jury selection process. That's when you uh, as attorneys, a plaintiff's attorney, a defense attorney and a personal injury claim are able to determine the twelve people, sometimes six people that are going to hear the facts, the evidence and the testimony and ultimately be the trier of fact and determine what the appropriate amount of compensation would be for my client. So voir dire is a very specific science. You have to understand the demographics, you have to understand the uh, mindset of those folks that would potentially sit and determine what's appropriate for your client so we as attorneys go through lots of training uh, understanding exactly what to expect from certain kinds of jurors and we do the best we can to select those 12 people and again sometimes six people to listen to and hear our case. Um, so I talked about a lot of that in the first podcast, the first of this series. Then we Well, went from- I
1: encourage everyone, go back. Okay, just because you're jumping in today on Closing Arguments does not That's mean right. you cannot go. You can jump all through this series. That's the beauty of a podcast. Uh, especially if you or someone you know is going through a trial, and maybe it's, it's not relevant to you right now, but it will be later. Everyone is going to find themselves at some point in their life, whether it's them or a loved one, this information is absolutely valuable to everyone. So again, jump through it. Uh, Hopefully you're catching us today and uh, jumping into closing arguments. But Derek, I'm not gonna jump ahead. So you talked about the voir dire and the jury selection. What else have we talked about? Well,
0: and in summing that that podcast up, if you recall, I also talked about what to expect if you serve as a juror. Right. Or if you're called to serve jury duty. go through the process from that standpoint as well, because I've been in those those shoes before. I've selected a jury multiple times, but I've also, too, been called for jury duty and had to sit through other attorneys questioning me, which is kind of funny because, uh, interestingly, both times I got called, I, I knew the attorneys personally, and as opposed to juror number or whatever yeah. it was, oh, hey, Derek, good to see you. Uh, that's the first step. The second step we talked about in the podcast series had to do with the opening statement. And if you recall, we talked about how an opening statement is just that. It's a chance to discuss the facts of the claim. There's no argument. There's no uh, trying to to convince the jury of anything in particular. It's simply laying out the facts of your case. Um, That's the opening statement. Then we went on to, um, last week, we did cross and direct examinations, the difference between the two. Uh, there's a misunderstanding for, for many people who've never been there as to what a cross examination is and what a direct exam is and who does a cross and who does a direct. Also too, uh, in between the, the series we've, if you recall, we did a, uh, a, a show about arbitration and mediation.
1: Correct. Those were um, great shows. Yeah. and Learned and that's, a ton in those shows.
0: So arbitration and mediation, again, you can go back and listen, but those are referred to as alternative dispute resolutions. That's another way of uh, trying to free up the court system because as we all know, the court system is very log jammed, especially now with COVID, and through arbitration and mediation, it's a means of, of obtaining a settlement, uh, ultimately for your client. Again, go back and listen to those podcasts and will understand a little bit more about the differences between the two. So today, we're gonna go from the next step, uh, from, from the last step, the, the uh, cross and direct examination directly into closing arguments. This is it. This is where you, as
1: an attorney, you get to hammer it shut. That's right. right? You get to win your case right here.
0: Yeah. If you recall in the first podcast about opening statements, we talked about how uh, many times people refer to it as an opening argument. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not allowed to make arguments in the beginning of the trial. The arguments only come at the end of the trial after all the facts, the evidence, and the testimonies come uh, out for the jury to to hear and process. So closing arguments, uh, it's also referred to as summation it's the last chance for the attorney, the plaintiff's attorney, as well as the defense attorney, to argue their case to that jury of six or 12. Uh, it's a chance, an opportunity to uh, summarize what they've heard, what they've seen, uh, and really what you're asking for them to do as a jury. Um, so, again, we're going to talk about closing arguments and kind of break that down for everybody today.
1: All right, well, just jump right in. I'm going to let you keep going. Tell us. Basic question. What is the closing argument? I'm sure we've all seen it on TV. We've all watched the court shows, Law and Order. But give us really and truly, not, not TV fluff, what is the closing argument?
0: Well, you're right about that. If you watch a movie or a TV show, you never see cross and direct as the emphasis of that show. You never see opening statements really as the emphasis. They always gear into that closing argument. It's the dramatic part. It's the part where an attorney can truly be an attorney and and make their arguments. Being an attorney is to be an effective communicator. You have to convince those people to see things in the light most favorable to your client. And as an effective communicator in closing argument, that's your job, that's your your responsibility, and and to me, that's the fun part. I get to actually. Again, kind of tie a nice little bow around the package of facts and evidence and testimony that they've heard over the course of that trial. That trial could have been a day, it could have been two or three days, or even a week. And it's my chance to say, here's what you heard, but here's what really matters, and here's why. And this is what we're asking for, and here's why. So it's the last opportunity, as I said, to to effectively and directly communicate with that jury.
1: Well, about how long does it take? When you're prepping a closing argument, what do you think?
0: Well, it depends on the facts in the case and the the complex nature of the case. If I've got multiple defendants, if I've got multiple parties, I'm going to have to take time to kind of go through each one of those defendants and why I feel as though they should be responsible to, uh, to compensate my client. I would say that at least 20 minutes is expected because it's going to take at least that long to summarize what everybody's heard there's an old uh, lesson that that they'll teach you in law school that the attention span does not last uh, more than about 60 minutes when you're trying to summarize so even if you've got multiple defendants it's a stretch to go 60 minutes because you're still going to lose some people sure it may be the 30 minute window it may be the 40 minute window but as an attorney you also have to effectively stay in touch with your jury i as an attorney and I've, i've done many closing arguments I try and, and make eye contact with each and every juror, every juror during that closing argument. I wanna make sure that that they're connected to me. They're gonna have a notepad, they're gonna have a pen, they're gonna be writing notes, hopefully, as you're making your argument. Uh, so you wanna make sure you take time to connect, and, and that's important. As any communicator would tell you, anyone who's a, a professional speaker, uh, uh, anyone who ever has the responsibility of, of speaking in front of a crowd, they're gonna tell you how important it is to connect to your audience, um, so it could be 20 minutes, about average on minimum, and about 60 minutes. If you have to go longer than that, you can probably ask for the judge to take a break, and they will, um, and that'll give a chance to, to kind of let the jury idea, breathe right, for a minute, take oh, a well, reset. Right, exactly. So
1: I was gonna just my little snippet, just as many teams as I run and marketing in that um, training. I was told 45. Yeah, You're really losing them after 40. They've yeah. just sat and, uh-huh. and people re- they're, now they're thinking about their grocery list <laughs> exactly. and where they have to run their kids to that night. Uh, but anyway, just give you some, that's some why of my knowledge. knowledge 60 right? is that a is a stretch. stretch. Absolutely. But it does
0: take that when you've got multiple parties to discuss in your closing.
1: Okay. All right. So you mentioned that opening statements are not arguments. Correct. You're not putting evidence into the opening statement.
0: No, no, no. So in the opening statement, you're telling the jury what you expect them to hear through the course of that trial.
1: Okay. So my question is, can you put evidence in the closing arguments?
0: Good question. So in the closing argument, it's a summation of what the jury has heard. So as an attorney, you can never argue something that never came into evidence. So as an example, in a personal injury trial, if I have a client who had a broken foot and it was a car wreck and they broke their foot and they had to have surgery. And for whatever reason, I forget as an attorney to bring evidence in to the jury during the direct and cross-examination about the fact my client had a foot surgery. Well, if I do that, I've made a tremendous mistake because now in closing argument, I can't argue at all about their broken foot or the surgery because it's facts not in evidence. And, an, and any defense attorney who's paying attention, if I start arguing about uh, you know my client having a broken foot and surgery, that defense attorney is going to immediately jump up and say, objection, Your Honor. He's arguing facts, not in evidence. The mm-hmm. jury never heard anything about a broken foot. Therefore, they can't consider that. And the judge who would have been paying attention during the course of the trial would say, Mr. Hayes, move on. There are no, uh, There's no testimony. There, there's nothing to support your contention there was a broken
1: foot. You should have brought and, it in correct. during the evidence portion.
0: And more specifically, the, the judge will issue a curative instruction to the jury. You're not to consider any, any comments at all by Mr. Hayes regarding a foot injury because that's not something that, that came in during the course of the trial.
1: Wow. Well, all right. Well. So you
0: have to be very careful. That's my opinion. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, I think you do.
0: And I'll, I'll say this kind of continuing that thought. If you do bring in facts that are not in evidence, you've opened the door for, number one, worst case scenario, a mistrial, where everything goes out the window and you have to start all over again. But more likely than that, a very good grounds for appeal. Because oh. there's always a reason, if necessary, to appeal if somebody's argued facts even very briefly in the closing that had no relevance to the the closing the I would not the uh, the the cross and direct examination testimony
1: I know you would never do this cuz you're an absolutely fantastic attorney but what you're saying in theory you could have you could lay the opening statement correctly you could do all your cross you could do all your evidence and you could lose it with your closing argument Correct. you could throw some of these accidental curveballs you throw in some evidence maybe you thought you talked about something and you could lose your whole case right at the end.
0: Well, exactly, and, and there's several, if you want to call them rules, we'll go with that, rules that govern what you can and can't do during closing argument. One of which is you cannot talk about, like I said, facts, not in evidence, but a second would be what we call the golden rule. The golden rule for juries is you can never, under any circumstances, say um, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the plaintiff.
1: Why? I would think that would be the number one way to get them to sympathize. Well,
0: you would think so, yes. but you're, you're not wanting them or you're not allowed to, say, put yourself in the shoes of the plaintiff. How would this affect you? That, that's considered the golden rule, the uh, most objected to comment if you were to make it, and really the most appealable issue, and potentially, too, the, the grounds for a mistrial. You, you're always presenting facts, evidence, and testimony for them in their position in life to determine what they think is appropriate. It's not for them to put themselves in the shoes of the plaintiff and think, oh, what would I want? Because if if I'm in the shoes of a plaintiff, I want a million dollars, at least, on every case. Even if I only have a sore arm and a a sore leg, I'm still going to want a million dollars because I'm the plaintiff. I want as much as I can get. But you cannot ask that jury to put themselves in the shoes of the
1: plaintiff. So I'm guessing along those same lines, you can't state your personal beliefs either.
0: That's another golden rule. You cannot. You can't. As an attorney... You can never say, you know, if I was a juror, this is what I would do. Oh, right. I mean, no, you can't. I I mean, that
1: makes sense. But uh, word it another way. Word it. Word it. um, What have you heard trying to sneak in there?
0: Well, of course, I'm the plaintiff's attorney. So as the plaintiff's attorney, I'm the one generally making uh, that would be the one to make those kind of arguments. A defense attorney might try and say, well, you know, if I was a juror, I would not find the defendant guilty of running the red light. Or, yeah, rearranging yeah. the, the plaintiff. Can't say that. Uh, that's why you can't, because it's not your personal beliefs. You're not the jury. You're there to present the facts, the evidence, and the testimony. That's your job in that courtroom. So you cannot tell that jury what you personally would do if you were in their position.
1: All right. What about credibility?
0: So credibility, and, and this is really a, a standard that every attorney should follow. Uh, if you go back to the podcast about opening statements, I talk about creating a theme. You want a theme to flow all the way through the course of your trial. And in that opening statement, this is one of the techniques I love to do. I'll tell the jury, you've got a, a notepad and pen in front of you, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to write. And I can do this in opening statement. I'm going to prove to you this. Make that number one. And number two, I'm going to prove to you this. Number three, I'm going to prove to you this. And I'll give them a litany of things that I want, I'm want. i intending to prove to them. And then in the closing arguments, I'll say, did, did I... Um, Did I prove this to you? Let's go back, you know, pull your notepad out. Number one, I told you I was going to do this. And if you recall, my doctor, orthopedic surgeon, John Doe, testified to this, well, I've just proven to you what I told you in opening statement I was going to do. Uh, Let's say I have a, a, a dispute about how a wreck occurred and I have an independent witness who was at an intersection and said, oh yeah, I saw the defendant run the red light in an opening statement I said you're going to hear testimony from Jane Doe who will tell you that she was at the intersection with where the wreck occurred and she saw that defendant run that red light so in closing I can say well you did hear testimony from Jane Doe and if you recall you'll see that Jane Doe absolutely confirmed what I told you I would prove to you in opening statement and I've proven that to you so I'm setting up the table for later on showing credibility to my case and more importantly to my client
1: well, that's what makes you a fantastic attorney.
0: Well, if, if you if you do that, it, it's also a technique to kind of control. Mm-hmm. is not a good word, but it's really the only word. Control the arguments from the defense attorney. Because by setting out, this is what I'm going to prove to you, and then arguing in closing argument, I, I told you I was going to prove it, and I did. Now the defense attorney has to pivot from whatever their closing argument may have been mm-hmm. to try and respond to what I've just done. Who goes first? So, good question. In closing argument the plaintiff goes first. Now, here's the key. If the defense presents any evidence whatsoever or has any witness testify on behalf of the defense case, then the plaintiff has the right to open closing and close closing. Okay. Meaning that if I present the plaintiff side of the evidence Mm -hmm. and I'm finished and I say, your honor, the plaintiff rests. And the, 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 the judge looks at the defense attorney and says, okay, Mr. or Miss Defense Attorney, do you have any evidence or any witnesses? Yes, Your Honor, I want to call defendant. So, so you can call
1: up. a witness in a closing statement? No, 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 no.
0: During the course of the trial, if they present any evidence or they have anyone testify on behalf of the defense, right. then when it comes time for closing, I can make the initial closing statement or closing argument and say, Your Honor, I'd like to pause here and reserve my right to close closing. Okay. I'm and sorry. The when you said occurred,
1: defense rests or plaintiff rests, I thought you were you were closing it and then they were coming in with someone no, else. No, that's
0: in the midst of the case. I'm with you. Okay. And so then the defense okay. has the opportunity to present their evidence for their side of the case. So on closing argument, if the defense did present any witness or any evidence, at the beginning of closing, I would say, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your service today or you know, three days, however long we've been there. Thank you so much for giving... Uh, your time, your energy, your efforts to do this job. It's a job that's very difficult. And I appreciate on behalf of the plaintiff and myself, everything you're doing for us today to be here in the courtroom and, and allow the wheels of justice to continue to go. I want to tell you what I set out in the opening statement, and, and you'll recall, I, I told you I was going to do, and I'll go through that list. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to sit for a few minutes and I'm going to allow the defense attorney to you know, stand up and, and give their closing arguments. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about what I was going to prove to you. So Your Honor, I'd like to go ahead and, and, and preserve my right to close closing, and then I sit down. So the defense attorney then has to give their closing, knowing full knowing well, full well that's what that I was once thinking. they're done, mm-hmm. I'm about to close the door. Right. I get to have the last word to that jury. And, and you know, most jury studies and surveys will tell you the most effective argument is the last thing they hear. The first thing they hear and the last thing they hear. So in opening statements, I'm the first one they get to hear from. In closing arguments, as long as I reserve the right to close closing, they're going to also be hearing from me very last. So that gives me that upper hand, if you want to call it that, in an appropriate way of trying a case to, again, I hate to say the word control, but to, uh, as best possible, represent the interest of my client.
1: So, let's speak a little, you're you're closing, you have your arguments, you're reiterating, I guess, all of the points in the case. But isn't there some level that you've got to talk to the jury about the laws, right? I mean, because these are just, it's me. It's people with no law education, and you've got to sort of steer them to, this is the legality. This is, right, this is why we're here.
0: Sure. So misstating the law, that's what I'd refer to it as. So as a plaintiff's attorney, even a defense attorney, in closing arguments, you cannot, under any circumstance, misstate what the law says so that it fits your facts. Let's say, for example... It's a slip and fall case. If I were to stand in in front of the jury in closing arguments and say, ladies and gentlemen, in Georgia, the law says if somebody falls in a, a public business lobby, then that business is automatically liable for what's happened to that person. Well, that's a misstatement of law. That's not what the law says. The law has specific standards you have to prove as a plaintiff to show that they truly are liable, period. So if I were to stand in front of the jury and misstate the law purposely to try and bolster the argument I'm making, then that's, again, immediate grounds potentially for a mistrial, worst-case scenario, or an appealable issue later on if it goes to the appellate phase.
1: So who jumps in? If the defense, well, the attorney, defense attorney or right. is it the judge? Do you jump up well, and say, no? Either, either, either can okay.
0: and either will. I would expect the, the defense attorney is going to immediately jump out of their chair and say, Your Honor, Mr. Hayes just made an argument about the law that is completely false.
1: Mr. Hayes would never do that, no, by the course way. No, of not.
0: And, and that's it. You've got to – because, and, and here's why. If I were to stand in front of a jury – and misstate the law purposely or you know maybe even by accident trying to bolster my client's case and and the defense attorney jumps up and and makes that argument your honor mr hayes has misstated the law he's purposely trying to sway this jury by uh stating something that's not true according to what georgia standards call for georgia code sections and and the judge sustains that objection well guess what my credibility is now gone that jury's going to go this guy doesn't even know the law why should i find in favor of his plaintiff when he's not even saying what the law, you know, he's telling us something completely different from what the law says. So it's a terrible mistake to stand up in front of a jury and misstate the law or misstate the facts. Let's say, for example, in my trial in in, uh, the cross or direct examination, a witness says one thing. And then I stand up in closing argument, I'll say, if you recall, uh, witness John Doe stood up in front of or sat in the the witness stand and and told you this, and it's not what John Doe said. I, I made up something completely different from what John has said. The jury's going to know that. They're going to catch that. And again, my credibility will be absolutely shot at that point. They're going to think this guy's making any argument he can because he's desperate. The case isn't in his favor. He's doing what he can to try and make up stuff, make up testimony, make up the law, whatever it may be. So you have to make sure you follow that rule. All
1: right. So everyone listening, the biggest takeaway here, of course, is all the information. But if you ever find yourself in this situation and you've been injured. We're going to tell you at the end of the show how to reach Derek directly, but I want you to tell all those people who need to call you for the accidents. You're walking them through this process. How do you write your closing statement?
0: So uh, I, my personal way of doing this, and I think most attorneys would do this as well, you come up first with the theme of the case. That is always the starting point. What is the theme of my case? And the theme of the case is the consistent uh, maybe one or two lines that you say throughout the process. Um, it, it could be any number of things. You know, one of the most famous, if you want to call it that, themes was from the OJ trial. Everybody knows the phrase, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Or if it don't fit, you must acquit. I don't know that. Johnny Cochran, when he was talking <laughs> about the glove. <laughs> I don't
1: know. And, and Mike's was, looking at me going, how do you not know that? Yeah, that, that was <laughs> probably
0: the most I'm, famous
1: theme of a case.
0: And every uh, time no. he spoke, every time there was a, an opportunity to say that phrase, especially in closing argument, it was repeated over and over. So they made a catchphrase during the trial. Sure, absolutely. Okay. And and that may not have been one that they set up to to uh, kind of go through the, the entire trial to begin with. It may have been one that during the course of testimony, it was that light bulb moment where, oh, wow, that's perfect. Let's go with that. And, and as an attorney, that can happen. You may have one theme that you've thought about and something even better comes to the surface during the course of opening something the defense attorney may say that it's kind of gift in, in front of me and I'm going to jump all over it. But you start with the theme. What is the theme of your case? Then you go to writing the closing argument first. And the reason why is because that is your case. That is your summation. That is what you want the jury to believe. That's what you're trying to persuade the jury to understand during the course of the trial. So once I've written, written my closing argument, then I'll go to the opening statement. How am I going to get to this this target? How am I going to get to this conclusion? Then I'll go back and think about every witness that's going to testify. What do I need to get from this witness regarding their side of the story during direct, during cross? And so I purposely am trying to establish throughout the course of that trial not only my theme, but get to the point where my closing argument flows so well that when that jury walks back to the jury room to deliberate, they're hearing over and over in their head, if it don't fit, you must acquit, those kind of things whatever that theme may be.
1: That's it. And you get so, the power of doing it last, which is beautiful. Right. So that that's how I start. You ask about writing a closing argument. Right. The next
0: thing I do is focus on what the key issues are. If it's a rear-end collision and they're not arguing that they didn't cause the wreck, if they're not saying, well, it's not our fault, I don't have to focus on that because they're conceding that. In fact, the defense attorney is going to stand up in front of the jury and say, this is a rear-end collision, a car wreck that occurred on you know this date, at this time, this location. We admit we caused the wreck. So if they admit to it, why the heck do I have to focus on that issue? Because I know already they've established the fact, we did this. So I'm not gonna focus on that. I'm gonna go to the next part, which may be the injuries, the treatment, the amount of the medical expense, the lost wages, the reasons why we're there, and not to argue about how the record occurred, is to argue about what's an appropriate dollar amount to compensate fully my client. So I would focus on what the key issues are. Next, I'd identify the witnesses. The witnesses that I'm calling, and what I need to get from them. If there is a dispute about how the wreck occurred, I want the police officer, if necessary. I want any key eyewitness that saw the wreck occur. I want them to testify. I want to make sure the defendant testifies, whether I have to call them for the purpose of cross-examination, or be prepared if they're called called for direct during their part of the trial to be able to cross-examine them. I want my client to testify. I want my client to be able to talk about what they did during, during the wreck. You know, I was stopped at a red light and I got rear-ended, or I was going through a green light and somebody ran a red light and T-boned my vehicle. If it's someone unfortunately that was killed in a car wreck, I'm gonna have an economist come and talk about the value of that life, because under Georgia law, and I'm not gonna get into that uh, today's podcast, but the measure of damage in a wrongful death case is the economic value of life. So I need to have an economist establish what that life is worth. So I need to know what each witness brings to the table and formulate my closing argument based on what I expect to and need to get from their testimony. Then I'm going to go back and write their cross or write their direct so I can get those key points out when they do testify.
1: Okay, so I have a question. I'm listening to all of this. Do you write the closing argument at the beginning? It sounds like you're, yes. you're looking at that and then you build the case. Yes, So you yes. don't actually Absolutely. wait until... <laughs> Like on TV. Yes. You don't wait till the night before. No, <laughs> but no, no, no. You, you have it written. You know how all this is laid out. Right. The, the case right. Is, is going through. You're going through the trial. And I'm sure you tweak it kind of here and there based on the case. But that's really interesting well, to me. Because you think of closing, this is at the end. You know, let me take everything we've learned this week and, and hammer it home.
0: But that's the key. I have to know what I need to prove. So that once I've figured out my closing, I can go back and do what needs to be done to get out of each witness what I need to be able to argue in closing. I also, too, make sure that in closing, I'm figuring out what points I'm going to bring up in opening. Uh, You know, one of my undergrad degrees is in English, and writing persuasive papers in English, most professors will tell you, write your conclusion first. Write that closing paragraph first, and then go back in your paper and write the paragraphs that lead to that closing, that lead
1: to that persuasion. So think about it that way. You know your closing argument before the trial even begins. Sure. That's Now, yeah. you're going to have curveballs. Right. It's not that things aren't going to happen. That, right, I, I said that, yes. You've got to be that. You would prepared have to tweak that, and, and but adjust. You, right.
0: You want to know that you're getting into evidence every single thing that
1: you're expecting and anticipating to argue during that closing argument. Okay. You know I love examples. We love the stories. We love... Hearing, Can you can you give us, w- whether it's one you've done or witnessed or, I don't know, give us give us a closing argument that, that was really powerful.
0: So I made this comment earlier and, and I really, when, it, when I made it, I was thinking specifically about a case that I tried several years ago. It was actually in Gwinnett County. Uh, we went to closing and I'd already done, like I said, I'd written my closing. I'd kind of formulated everything I needed to to get to that conclusion. And as the plaintiff's attorney, I had an opportunity to open closing and then close closing. So in my opening of the closing, I said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your time, all the things that you do. And I said, if you recall, and I want you to pull your notepad out, I told you in my opening statement, I was going to prove the following things to you. Number one, number two, number three, however many it was. And now I'm going to sit for a little bit and then I'm going to get back up and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more after the uh, defense attorney has his chance. It was a, a, a guy has his chance to make his closing argument. I want you to listen to what he has to say. I want you to listen to every argument he makes. But I also want you to listen to see if he can convince you that I didn't prove these things that I told you I was going to prove to you. Because that's the key. I'm the plaintiff. I'm here to prove these things to you. See if he can address
1: that I didn't prove any of these things.
0: So the interesting thing, and this is why this is a great story. It was a defense attorney that I really don't think had ever tried many cases. If so, maybe two or three. Uh So he was still new at it. And I think that he had purposely written verbatim his entire closing argument. So his expectation was, I'm going to stand at that podium and I'm going to read, for the most part, what I've written verbatim. And so he did. He stood up. He completely ignored the fact that I kind of threw hit, him.
1: Hit him a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I threw him
0: a softball and, and said, here, you tell this jury that I didn't prove what I was, told him I was going to prove to him. He completely ignored my opening of the closing. And so when he stood up, he basically read almost verbatim and and jurors don't like to be read to. It's not a bedtime story. They want to be talked to. They want to be convinced. They want to know that you know those facts like the back of your hand. You're not having to refer to notes. You know it. And when you're sitting or standing with your head down, referring to your notes constantly in reading, you read a sentence, then you look up, then you read the next sentence, you look up. That is so boring. Number one, to have to listen to that and number two, you're losing your audience. So I did my, my, you know, make him prove to you that, he, that I didn't do these things. So he stood up, he read verbatim his closing argument, not a single point in his closing argument addressed the fact that I had just thrown this to him. And so when he finished, you know, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know Mr. Hayes is going to get up and have a chance to, to speak to you again. And uh, we simply ask that you find a verdict in favor of the defendant. And he sat down. So I stood up and I said, well, isn't that interesting? And they kind of looked at me. I said, you know, I stood up here a few minutes ago and I said, mister, and I'm not going to say his name, I want him to tell you and prove to you that I didn't prove those things to you. I told you I was going to prove to you. Guess what? He ignored that completely. Why? Because he knew full well I proved every single one of those things to you. He doesn't have an argument. He didn't even address the fact that I told you I was going to do this and this and this. And I did. Instead, he read to you verbatim, what he expected you all would fall for
1: yeah and by doing that yeah, again ladies and gentlemen you only have one choice i'm really proud of you and i feel really bad for him all at the same time it's a really yeah, well, <laughs> like a woman so we empathize it's like you, yes you just yeah. hammered that and after good for you after
0: the case was over and, and thankfully we did get a verdict in you got the verdict good I, I was talking good. to the the defense attorney because we're all professionals yeah. we're, we're, we're courteous to each other and, and cordial and, and shake hands and uh, you know, congratulations, that kind of thing. While I was talking to him, he said, you know what? I didn't pay a bit of attention to what you were saying. Really? And and he said, you're you're right. Your closing argument nailed it. I didn't say a wow. single thing to dispute what you said. And he said, it didn't dawn on me until after I sat back down. And then you stood up and you hammered that point. He said, "I." I he complain. wasn't even listening. Well, that's right. He was yeah. more concerned about, okay. He was
1: probably nervous. He had a speech be. to give. Sure. It yeah. could be,
0: but it's also the importance of
1: Pay attention. Right. You need to know what's happening in that courtroom. Wow. Well, I gave a little teaser. I would tell everybody that they, you would, I'm going to hand it over to you to tell all of your listeners how can they find you, how can they find you for representation. I like to stress, even though your offices, because we're opening another one, uh, are here in the state of Georgia, that you represent parties all over the United States. Correct. So you are not exclusive to Georgia. Uh, So wherever you are, wherever you're listening, if you have a question for the podcast, if you have a question, if you've been injured and you have a question or a question about a case, please, please, please contact Derek. Derek, turn it over and tell him how to find you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Along those same lines, I've just recently been in federal court in Pennsylvania, federal court in Tennessee. I've got cases pending in Florida, Alabama, uh, several other states, and, and I can. I can handle a case uh, virtually in any state, but if I do file a suit, I have to have someone who's licensed to associate with me in that particular state. And that's something I would be happy to discuss with anyone. So, yes, reach out to me. My website's always the starting point. It's Derek, D E R E K, the letter M as in Matthew, and then Hayes, H A Y S dot com. So, Derek M Hayes dot com. On my website, uh, you'll see a chat feature where you can type out any questions and we'll communicate directly with you while you're on the website. You'll also see a a tab where you can email me directly, and it does come to me. I'm the one that will respond to your email. If you put a phone number in there, I'll be the one to call you, and we'll talk about your potential case. There's also, too, a podcast tab, and I love that podcast tab because I do get lots of suggestions about things to do. In fact, this entire series was a suggestion uh, that came to me through my podcast tab. So click on the tab. Uh, You can listen to all the prior podcasts, but you can also submit a question uh, or a topic that you'd like me to address. Uh, so starting points the website next you can call me my phone numbers are 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970 also my social media it's law office of Derek M Hayes on uh, Instagram also too on Twitter Uh, you can find me either of those ways also too and I know we want to talk about this briefly yesterday was a big day
1: yes congratulations I'm very excited for you and for you as well my well, that's separate, uh, but yeah, yes. this is not my show.
0: <laughs> so my main office is in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is the county seat for Gordette County, uh, metropolitan uh, Atlanta area, uh, but I've just recently opened, in fact, just yesterday. second office. That's right, my second location Yay. in Watkinsville, Georgia, which is really it's outside a of Athens. gorgeous office, too. Oh, yeah, it's out it's in Oconee County, space. Uh, but the part regarding you is you have a retail store in the bottom floor. And I've got my personal injury practice upstairs and we're getting to go to work together.
1: That's it. We did. And today we're working together because we do sit on each other's shows. I'm the host of Derek's show and I represent everyone uh, without a law degree, which is most people probably listening to the show with questions. Uh, So submit them. And yes, I own multiple retail stores, so we uh, rented a very old house. It's adorable, it's charming, and I'm gonna take the bottom floor with one of my stores, and Derek's got the top expanding. That's right. And so this is just outside of Athens, Georgia. So basically an office outside of Atlanta and an office outside of Athens. And you also work remotely, like you said, That's right. you can handle That's right. cases now, you're doing things on Zoom, Correct. Um, all sort of, uh, you know, different types of meeting virtually. Mm-hmm. I think COVID really changed all that for you.
0: Yeah, it did. We're doing Zoom mediations, we're doing Zoom depositions, we're doing Zoom hearings. And now in Georgia, thankfully, some of the courts are starting to open back up and have jury trial calendars. There are probably going to be some uh, things to be tweaked and some head- hiccups here and there. but. It's good to know we're finally starting to get back to practicing law and getting in courtrooms.
1: Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show today on Closing Arguments. And again, I encourage you to go back and listen to any of Derek's shows. Check out the entire series on trials, but the arbitration, mediation. You've done so many. I can't even remember all the titles (laughs) going back a little bit further than that. Uh, but again, thank you for your time and submit your questions. I know right now, Derek, you are compiling a show. Every once in a while, you'll take all the single yes. questions you get and you'll do a show about listeners' questions. I believe that's probably coming up because
0: yeah. you've got so many in the queue. I probably do need to do that in one of the next couple of shows. If not next show, then, then maybe the one after that. Because uh, I still want to talk a little bit about jury instructions okay. that come and some of the things to expect while you're waiting on a verdict.
1: Right. Uh, oh, people don't realize yeah. exactly
0: how stressful that can be really for the plaintiff and, and for the defendant for the attorneys as well you're sitting in that hallway and you're waiting for that red light to come on to let you know that oh. jury's uh, been able to to come up with a verdict that's so. going to be
1: a good show i can't yeah. wait all right once again we are here at the gwinnett, Can- gwinnett chamber small business awards this has been fun doing the remote session the luncheon's getting ready yeah. to start so Lots thank you guys for having us today hopefully everyone will go and check out the show All right, let me close us out. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.